Please be seated. <laughs> Something I forgot to say during the announcement time, which I, I want to make sure we do say, is thank you to our trustees who were in here Saturday and who took down the Christmas tree and uh, took down the big banner and packed all that stuff away and moved all the Christmas things into the loft, which we normally do after church. So a very great thank you to all of you who were a part of that. We deeply appreciate that. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we are here to hear from you. And I pray that you will open your word and allow us to hear what you're saying and to apply it to our lives. Lord, we realize it's not really any good to us if we don't do something with it. And so I pray that you will help us to take your lessons to heart and to apply them to our lives to glorify you and to draw closer to you and to fulfill your mission in this world as you called us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, today is the end of the week of prayer and fasting, as we said before, and uh, that's an annual challenge that we do to, uh, across the Brethren in Christ Church to, to try to get people to spend a little more time in prayer, more time in the Word, uh, maybe set aside some things, take a, a sacrifice of some kind in, in order to be a little more focused on God. And you may have noticed that it happened that the uh, devotional readings for this year were all based on the core values that we actually spent several weeks looking into in the fall. And uh, I hope you got a chance to read some of that and refresh your memory. And I especially hope that you got a chance to spend some personal quiet time with God this week. Uh, prayer and fasting can really help in your relationship with God. And it can do that in a lot of ways. Uh, for example, it can detox us spiritually, clear out the noise that, that seems like it's there to overwhelm us sometimes. And, and when we can push that noise into the background and away from us, we can maybe better hear God as he's trying to speak to us. And it can also serve as a weapon of spiritual warfare. It can help you overcome sin and temptation. And that drives the devil back for sure. It can build spiritual strength, and fasting can sometimes give you victory in areas that you might have been struggling with for a very long time. There's power in fasting, in doing without something and turning that energy towards God. Not because fasting is a magic trick or some special secret ritual, but because it's a time that is focused on God where we draw closer to the source of power who is God himself. Fasting should always be a kind of offering to God. In his teaching, uh, Jesus takes for granted that we're going to pray and we're going to fast. He says, when you pray, do this. When you fast, do this. So, Last week, I spent a lot of time encouraging you to think about fasting and ways you can do that and the benefits of doing that. And so now, I want to talk to you this morning about what's wrong with fasting. I figure that's a good conclusion to the week of prayer and fasting. Uh, really, we want to talk about how not to fast. And hopefully that'll be a, an encouragement to you. 
Fasting can be a very effective thing in your Christian life. I really believe that. But there are times when fasting seems to fail completely. And I want to talk about when fasting fails this morning. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at superficial fasting, where we're kind of just going through the motions. And then we're going to look at self-centered fasting. And then the last thing I want to look at is to revisit what true fasting is and what are some of the blessings that come from that. The main scripture that uh, we want to talk about today is Isaiah chapter 58. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open that up. We're going to be in and out of that, that uh, all uh, through the lesson this morning. And um, I encourage you to read along. The, I'm going to read the whole chapter here this morning since it's only 14 verses long. Now there are 14 Old Testament verses, so you know that tends to make them a little bit longer. But uh, we're looking at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, it starts with a shout. And, and you know, if you're in the Psalms and you're uh, along with David and you're getting into the worship parts, a lot of really positive news starts with a shout in the Psalms. But that's not the case here. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. So let me read that. Shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to their descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that is doing what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head down like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked or to and to clothe them and to not turn them away from your own flesh and blood, and then... Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will rise up the age-old fortifications and you will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, 
if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph in the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A few weeks ago in Celebrate Recovery on a Wednesday night, we were talking actually about one of the verses that's part of this, Isaiah 58, 8, as one of God's great promises. And, and as I read it and, and read into the chapter further, I realized that this is, this is a conditional promise. It means that certain things have to be met in order for certain things to happen, right? And, and there is a lot here in this passage about fasting, and a lot of it's not very good. It's not good at all. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting. Fasting is not the problem. Uh, for Israel, fasting was really a part of their life. In ancient Israel, there, were, uh, there was only one major named feast or fasting day, uh, which is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. That's the holiest day of the year. And that was what they called a full fast day. Uh, a full fast day incorporated actually more than just that day. And in fact, it usually rolled into two days of fasting. And they didn't just fast for, from eating for a time. Uh, it involved abstaining from a lot of other things. For example, you were not allowed to wash your body. You were not allowed to wear leather shoes. You were not allowed to use colognes or perfumes or to have sex on that day. Now, they weren't fasting for atonement. They weren't fasting to, to, you know, to earn their forgiveness in some way. They were fasting as a sign that they were repentant from their sins. They were showing regret for their sins. That goes along with atonement. Uh, kind of like John's baptism. And, you know, John the Baptist has said he was baptizing a baptism of repentance. And that's really what's going on in the this fast. Well, in the New Testament era, you know, they added another full day of fasting because that marked the destruction of Solomon's temple. Uh, and then there were all kinds of other smaller fasts. Um, things like people fasted a meal every day. Some people did. Others did it once or twice a week. Um, minor fasts were for lots of other things that usually lasted from dawn until nightfall. You could fast any time that you were going to petition the Lord. Uh, some people obviously, by the context of the scripture, some people obviously fasted as a way of showing how pious they were, how religious they were, how holy they were. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 passage that we looked at last week, uh, not to put on a big public display about fasting. In Isaiah 58, God says this about his own people. He says, for day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Well, it says they, they, they seem eager to know my ways. You know, they're approaching as if they want to learn, as if they want to grow. They were doing the right things. They were saying the right things as if they were a righteous nation, but their hearts weren't in it. And they weren't getting out of it what God intended, nor were they putting their hearts into it as they were fasting. And so their hearts weren't changed by it. 
and weren't affected by it. Verse 3 says that on fasting days, they'd pray and fast, and then they'd go out and exploit their workers. You know, as if, you know, they really hadn't had this presence of God, they really hadn't had this time with God, you know, as if it didn't make any difference in their life whatsoever. Verse 4 says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and is striking each other with wicked fists. Well, there's a good way to, to end the fast, you know, with a good old fist fight. That really demonstrates the love of God and that we've really understood who God is and what God wants us to be, right? Going out and just whacking on your neighbor. Well, some people would fast and pray and do the right things, but then go out and do things that were entirely the opposite character to what God was trying to produce. So obviously there was a disconnect from God. God was getting some of their attention. I mean, they were devoting themselves in some form of religion, but he wasn't getting their hearts. It was all the way up here. It was all surface stuff, and there was no depth going on at all. It was all show and no meaning. They would fast, but their hearts were not aligning with God's heart, and that's the intention, isn't it? Verse 5 talks about how the people would humble themselves, bowing their heads, lying in sackcloth and ashes, but without a heart change. And God says to this, is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? You get to see God use a little sarcasm here. It's like getting all dressed up and coming to church here on Sunday morning and, and acting like a, an upstanding God follower and then ignoring him the rest of the week. We come to service, but lack compassion or mercy or justice the rest of the week. It just doesn't work, does it? I mean, it just doesn't jive with what we've been talking about is the importance of, of this discipline of fasting, of drawing close to God, of seeking to grow personally and seeking to do His will. Superficial fasting fails to bring about the things that God wants to bring about. And in this case, he's identifying justice and righteousness that he desires that they are definitely not fulfilling. Well, then there's self-centered fasting, and that was going on here too. There's a real telling sign of a spiritual problem in verse 3. Here's what it said. This is the voice of the people. This is what God says they're saying to him. Why have we fasted, they said, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're trying to have a transactional faith. They, they want to give something to get something. It's kind of like, hey, look, God, I'm fasting for you. Look what I did for you. We fasted. We humbled ourselves. We went without food and we didn't wash and we didn't wear leather shoes. And you didn't even notice. Now, from the context, we understand this to mean that we did our part. How come you didn't do you, your part, God? Maybe we shouldn't have bothered. See, they were fasting for all the wrong reasons. And the fasting was centered on them and not centered on God. They, they weren't even trying to draw close to God. They were trying to force God's hand and they were trying to bend his blessings in their direction by playing religion instead of really 
with a fully surrendered heart following God. Now, it's no wonder that their fasting was failing. They approached it selfishly with entirely wrong motives. And we can do that in prayer, can't we? We can do the same thing. It's no wonder their fasting failed. You know, they weren't really trying to grow spiritually. In fact, from the talk of how they were oppressing people and exploiting people, it, it seems that they were less interested in growing spiritually and more interested in growing their wallets. Selfish, self-centered fasting is not true fasting. And the same goes for prayer. You know, our God is not Santa Claus. Every time I think of that, I think of that song that Bill wrote, that it's Santa Claus God. Um, you know, maybe it's time we have it sung again, just to remind us, because our God is not that. You know, he's not the one we just, you know, sit on his knee and tell him what we want, and he's going to give it to us. It's going to be under the tree in the morning. That's not our God. He doesn't answer to our greed. And, and when we walk humbly with him, and when we approach him with a right heart, with proper motives, he will supply our needs and a whole lot more. Now, if those are false ways of fasting, then it begs the question, what's the truth? What's the true way of fasting? And what are the blessings that flow out of that? Well, here's what kind of fasting God has chosen. He says, is this is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when, when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? In other words, your fasting ought to be producing some spiritual fruit here. In their case, it was to right the injustices that were not only all around them, but they were directly causing those injustices. Uh, what they really needed? They, and we, need to show evidence of a changed heart. That's what really needs to be the fruit of that. There needs to be some evidence that our heart has changed. If we're going to put on a show and do the fasting and do the prayer and make sure everybody sees that we did it, but have no changed heart, not draw closer to God, not learn really anything, um, that's not the fruit. That's not going to do what needs to be done. That's not going to take us where God wants us to go. Our fasting should bear spiritual fruit. It should show that our heart has been changed. Well, one of the things we, we don't like to talk about that comes up in this passage quite a bit, in fact, there are two main passages on fasting in the Old Testament, and, and uh, both of them bring up the subject of justice. Both of them. And the injustice that people were doing while they were approaching God for fasting. We don't like to talk about justice because when we talk about justice, it brings up the other two little devil words, and that's social justice. And, and we're very careful about those two words. Uh, politicians have taught us that those two words are dirty words. They have disconnected those words from Scripture so that those two words are now a political agenda 
instead of the fruit of following God. But when we serve and follow God, a heart surrendered to God results in service to God, which reflects his heart. Those things that God cares about becomes the things that we should care about. The lost, the refugee, the poor, the stranger, the neighbor, and who is my neighbor anyway? Micah 6.8 tells us what God requires of us, and that is to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what happens when our hearts are in it? When our hearts are invested in the spiritual disciplines, when we're really there to meet with God and to be changed, what happens when that happens? When the fruit of changed lives begin to go out from us and have an impact, what's going on there? I, I love this promise in Isaiah 58.8. It says, then, talking about you know, when your heart is changed, when you're doing fasting the way God calls you to fast with your whole heart in it, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Now, I've underlined that last sentence. Do you know what that means? What does it mean that the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard? It means God's got your back. That's what that means. God's got your back. He's right there. You know, when you're coming to him with the right heart, with right intentions, seeking to grow spiritually and to grow closer to him, God has your back. Another promise that comes right after this in verse 9 is, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he'll say, here I am. Here I am. You probably memorized that scripture years ago, the, you know, prayers of a righteous man availeth much. What that simply means is that when we walk in righteousness before the Lord, our prayers are answered. <laughs> they're heard. Now, God hears our prayers, but there are times that he chooses not to answer them. And one of those reasons is when we are way out of fellowship with him and we're not walking with him. Now, if you read on in this chapter, and I encourage you to do that, we're not going to take the time to do that right now, but I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter again because the blessings just continue to pour out of this. God shows them, wow, you know, here's the way you've been living, but let me show you the way that I can help you live. It's very different, and it's filled with blessing. Now, I, I know this passage is not written directly to us. It was written to ancient Israel, but it was given to us for us to learn the lessons and to understand how God's heart works. Our God desires to bless you and he desires to provide for your needs and he desires to bring you healing and he desires to see you thrive spiritually and in many other ways in your life but it doesn't happen 
even when we fast and pray, if we are just going through the motions and if we come to him with selfish motives. I want to end this time with David's prayer as our prayer. You may know this prayer from Psalm 51. Some of you probably have it memorized, but I want to put it up on the screen. And, and I'm wondering, would you read this aloud with me this morning? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, let this be our prayer. Let our hearts join with your heart. Let us love what you love and who you love. And let us put away our foolish and selfish ambition and seek first your kingdom and its righteousness. We submit our hearts to you. We ask that you forgive our sins and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Clean our hearts and make us ready to receive you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.